I hope many of you are familiar with Gary Larson, and uh, that's the Far Side comic guy. If you remember the Far Side, um, you can imagine just with this passage here. You can imagine him, and I think there actually are comics that he's done like this. It's like a nose party, and there are a bunch of noses around in the room, and it's, you know they're they're having Kleenex or something like that. It's a nose party, a bunch of noses. They're walking around talking about nose things, and it's funny. Uh, but the idea there is that you know you have one particular member of the body that you separate out, and then you can make jokes about that uh, and say you have a nose party. But bodies don't work that way. Right? That, that's why we can make jokes about them that way, is because they don't work that way. If, if you have a body that's all nose, like Paul says elsewhere, well, where would the hearing be? Where would you, all these other functions of the body, where would they be if, if all the members of the body were one, had one, one gift? Right? We're just noses for smelling. We have one body that's told us here in the Scriptures. Now, one question about that I ask you, what body are we talking about? We talk about the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. We mean the church of Jesus Christ. We mean this local church. And therefore, the, the things that are said here, as far as how the church operates with different giftings and all that sort of thing, does that mean in the local body, like in the, you know, the local church right here in St. Helens? Or does he mean the church in a broader sense? Maybe like we talk about Presbytery, a regional church. And I think we see that over and over again in Scripture where things are written to the church of a region. Well, that's the churches in that region, and there would be an apparatus or a governmental apparatus they could write to. We call Presbytery. Uh, other words are around for it. Or is it to the church entirely? The, the, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, the elect, uh, in all time that, you know, by the time uh, all the elect are assembled and brought together that great day, we'll have every functioning member of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think the answer is yes. All those things. In, in its own way, all of those parts are at play as we think about the body of the Lord Jesus Christ being one and many. Now, we've talked about this, and we'll go through it just, just for your um, you know, peace of mind. We're only going to go through the first three gifts today. So we'll kind of give this introduction in the first point, and then the second point we'll look at the, um, the, the, um, well, the prophet and the servant and the teacher, those kind of three gifts, and Lord willing, next week we'll take up the last four, rather than spending a bunch of time on the first ones then going really fast on the last ones, which is what all the preachers seem to do. So far as I can tell, they, the last ones kind of get short shrift. I don't think they should. I think they should have just as much emphasis, even though there, you know, there are certain places, we'll see, as we go, that particular gifts are, are central to the church, and the other ones are supporting to that central work, and clearly the prophesying coming first is central to the work of the church. The church has something to say, and God's gifted people in the church to say it. Okay, that's the prophecy. We'll get there momentarily, but that's just one gift. Of all sorts of gifts, and even these seven gifts that are in this list aren't supposed to be exhaustive. Paul hasn't given us an exhaustive list here. We know that because we have other lists in the New Testament with other gifts as well, additions, even though there's similarities. But more on that later. Right now, the one and the many, and, and the way in which we deal with our gifts. Now, each of us has all sorts of giftings from God in lots of ways, things that kind of we're born with, they're just in us. Right? Those are gifts from God, and some of you are like that, you can... There are some of us, you can just hear a tune, go banging out on the piano. Right? Ever had a piano lesson? No, I can just hear what it's doing, and I can match. Right? Okay, well, that's something, right? That's a, that's a gift, and that kind of gift can certainly be developed. You, you can take that kind of giftedness with a whole lot of hard work and dedication and shoot to the moon with stuff like that. Um, but that's an example of the gifts that we have naturally, but also the gifts that are developed as God gives us the grace to develop those gifts in our lives. 
we tend to think that our own gifts are the important ones. There's a tendency in us that way. And, and the example of that is someone who's a, a, a prophet. That would be my job, according to this list. Uh, a, a, or even say, it makes it a little easier, a teacher. Say, well, you know, we don't want a bunch of ignorant Christians. I think we probably everyone can agree with that. But the teacher says, well, what's the point of making a bunch of disciples if we never disciple them? What's the point of, uh, of going out and trying to help people, the, the poor and everything else, if we're, if we're really just a bunch of ignorant wretches ourselves and we don't know the scripture and we're, we don't have knowledge? And so these other gifts aren't as important as this instruction and teaching or possibly... The people who have the gift of evangelism, which really isn't in this list, but are, are skilled and, and gifted to, to meet people and talk to them about the gospel. To talk about their need of Christ and that, that, that God blesses that. They may think, well, what's all this discipleship stuff you got going? We need to reach the lost. That's the point. We need to, we need to get the lost in, into the church and let them know about Christ. And all this, like, egghead stuff you got with your volumes of systematic theology, that's just a waste of time. What we really need is evangelism. Or people might say, well, no, I, well, what we really need is to help people. People who are hurting out there, and sure, we can, we got to preach the gospel to them, we got to teach them stuff, but what they really need is just help in their daily lives to live faithfully and, and get rid of the sinful baggage. So this evangelism, sure, I guess, and, and this intellectual discipleship, maybe not, uh, but this lifestyle discipleship is what we need. Uh, so there are gifts of service and other things. And we, we tend to kind of look at one of those gifts and make it more important than the others. But the truth is, of course, they're all in the body of Christ. God's brought all those giftings in. He's given all those gifts to his body because they all have their part to play in what God is doing in the building up of the body of Christ, the building up of the church. So as we look at the body then, we don't want to kind of put the wrong emphasis on, on various gifts and somehow think that there are some that are, are important to the point of pushing others out. I think there is... There are important parts, and there are, there are central things in service, and we'll get to that. But they're all there. All the parts of the body are necessary. That's important. I want you to listen to it. Every part of the body of Christ is necessary. God's put you here. He's given you gifts, and he wants you to function. He's, he's given this to you to do right here in this church. And then you can expand out, and the church is in our neighborhood, and serving the church generally, or in the presbytery, and, and so on. You kind of move out from there. But God's given each of you... Gifts that he wants you to use here to give away and work in this congregation. That binds us together, and that grows the body of Christ by his grace. But when we think of the body, what's the most important part of the body? You might think of it even in just kind of physical terms. I can get along without an arm. Okay? Someone comes here and chops off my arm. One of you guys is great. You cauterize it. Off we go. I'm fine. Okay? Um, or any number of other members of the body. Uh, what's, what's, the, what's the real issue? the head, right? In which is the brain or however you think about that. And that's exactly the case in the scripture as well. The body is the body because it's related to the head. Okay, the head is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the head of the body. And he's the one who gives these gifts in the body to make it work just how he wants. To operate and function how he wants. And we talked about that last week, that these are sovereignly given gifts. God's not just throwing them out there willy-nilly. He's got a plan and it involves you and your gifts, each one of you. And then the, the side note to that is, if you're not, therefore, exercising your gifts in the body, you're not being faithful to the Lord. Because that's specifically what he's called you to do. Sure, you can use your gifts to go make money. You can use your gifts to do all sorts of things, help people out in the world. You bet. Uh, 
and we just a good example of this. A friend of mine has just used his mechanical skills uh, in automobile uh, as an automobile mechanic to pull a car together to give to somebody. It's like hey, you can do that really cheaply. He's able to get the car, work on it, and give it away very cheaply because that's his skill. That's what he's got. But he's not exercising that in the body of Christ. He's just doing it as a favor outside. But we're called self-consciously to use our gifts for the body of Christ, for the church, for God's people, in addition to these other things and ways in which we can use them. When we think of the body, we think of the head of the body. We think of the church of Jesus Christ, we think of Jesus Christ. Okay, he's the central feature, he's the central leader, he's in the heavenlies at the right hand of God, giving these gifts. Okay, he's enthroned in heaven, Jesus the Christ of God. He came, he died the sacrificial death on the cross, he was put into the tomb, Three days later, he came and emerged from that tomb alive again from the dead. And then ascended to the heavens and is seated at the Father's right hand. He's building his kingdom. He's pouring out his gifts. He's still pouring out his spirit so that he can build his church. Christ is the point. He's the head of the body. The body takes its shape, does, it gets its function and everything from the head. So Christ is central in all of this. And as we receive Christ, then, if we're in Him, then He gives us gifts. He gives us the things that He wants us to have to build the body. So as we look at these gifts, as we kind of go through these three, and it won't won't be too long, don't worry. We'll look at these three and then talk about them a little bit. But we want to see Christ in them. Not just the gift, but the giver of the gift, who Himself gives the gift. He has it. He gives it. We receive that, and then we use it. Right? So Christ is central to this whole, exam- this whole reality of spiritual gifts. And one thing I've found in my somewhat limited exposure to kind of charismatic or Pentecostal type things where they make a lot of gifts, and particularly the, you know, these what we call sign gifts or more extraordinary gifts of speaking in tongues and so on and healing, um, is very little of the time is spent in my experience with them focusing on Christ, the giver of the gift. Christ building his body through the giving of the gift. He is the head. It's kind of just receiving these gifts and making much of them. We were supposed to make much of them and use them. But making much of them and using them as Christians, as part of the body of which Christ is the head. Using the gifts that Christ has given, who himself is the gift and the giver of these gifts. So we want to have him first. And then sometimes, so the head first. And then sometimes there's an official, like an office in the church that Christ has created. And we say there are three offices in the church that we can discern from the scriptures anyway, we think so. Uh, the deacon is one of them, which is the, the word for service here, by the way, is the same word as deacon. Um, so you think, well, there's an office in the church, a deacon, whose official function is to be a servant. Okay, so there's the, there's the great servant, we'll get there in a moment, Jesus. He is the servant, capital S. But there's also the servant that he's ordained in the body of the church, the deacon. But then there's all of the rest of us who are servants as well. Right? So it's like the big servant, Jesus. There's the office of servant, deacon. But then there's the service that we render as, that God gives us to among the church. So it's kind of like these three levels oftentimes. Although sometimes that second level, the official, isn't there. Right? Sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't. Um, We'll go down there as, as we move. But we want to look to Christ first then maybe whatever office in the church is there for the, to encompass this gifting, and then the, the rest of the church, the whole body, as it, as it participates in the giftings of Christ. Okay, so the first thing we're going to look at, then, is prophecy. Now, 
prophecy and the prophet, that office and function, anyway, within, within God's revelation, goes all the way back. Right? Uh, all, all the way back to Adam. We have a prophet there who's speaking the words of God, and they're recorded in Scripture for us. And that may be just simply a place to start, is what do we mean when we say prophet? Uh, what do you think of when you hear the word prophet? Not, not the prophet like you make after you sold something that you bought for cheaper. That's a different kind of prophet. Uh, this is a prophet who we might think tells the future. That's oftentimes what people say. Oh, a prophecy is a statement of something that's going to happen in the future. Well, sometimes that's the case. Sometimes prophets do speak to the future. But regularly what prophets do, all the way back, and particularly as, as the prophets start to be something that we see as, a, uh, as an official function in Israel, they speak the word of God. They're oftentimes looking to what already has been revealed and calling Israel back to faithfulness to what has been revealed. Right? They're like uh, Chris Lynch, our Old Testament professor up there at Western, called them Old, Old Testament lawyers. They were covenant lawyers. They were calling Israel back in terms of the covenant to be faithful and threatening them with what God said would happen if they weren't faithful. That that's the function of the prophet, to speak for God to God's people. Right? The public speaking of God's word is prophecy. That's the kind of most general sense of what a prophet is. He speaks publicly for God. He speaks the word of God. Now, that can be receiving new revelation. Right? That, that, that some of the prophets are receiving from God information that they need to speak out. And then that's either spoken out and goes into the body, or sometimes is written down. Right? And whatever God wants written down from these prophets, though we have the scriptures from that prophetic ministry as well. The New Covenant itself, the New Covenant itself is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. This, I think, is an important passage for us to understand the biblical nature of the apostles and the prophets, uh, even though prophecy is, again, broader. Uh, but the, the, most, the most central prophets of the New Covenant are the apostles. They're the ones receiving revelation. They've been with Jesus. They've received the Holy Spirit. They're the, they're the ones pro, you know, proclaiming what God has revealed in Christ Jesus. And this is what the church is based upon. So, let me find here... We're in chapter 2, and we'll start reading in verse 19 here. Philippians 2. Start verse 18. For through him, that is, we Jews and Gentiles through Jesus, through him we both have access into one spirit to the Father. And then, so then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, you Gentiles out there, but you are fellow citizens and saints and members of the household of God. That's, some, that's an amazing proclamation of New Covenant revelation right there. Okay, this mystery of bringing Jews and Gentiles together. But then here's the verse. Built, this household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone. And then it talks about the structure, you know, taking a shape from, from Jesus, the cornerstone. How far up do you build the foundation? Uh, any, any of you guys build houses? Dave, probably. Um, you, you put the foundation all the way up to the third story if you're building a three-story house? No, it's at the bottom. right? It's, it's the foundation of the thing, of, and the building builds on top of it. The apostolic ministry was a foundational ministry. That's what it says here. The church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, by which it does not mean the Old Testament prophets. I don't think that's what's meant here, though that's to some degree true, in fulfillment of, of Christ fulfilling those. But rather this new covenant revelation. 
of Jews and Gentiles being brought together in one body. Finally, the fulfillment of this thing, Christ himself being the cornerstone. And the prophetic ministry of this new covenant, the revelatory prophetic ministry, not just articulating God's word and, and you know, studying the scriptures and, and preaching the scriptures, that's prophecy as well. But this prophetic ministry here is revelatory, and the apostles and prophets are the foundation of this new covenant structure or building we call the church. Now, that's a prophetic ministry. And that prophetic ministry of the apostles as they speak and preach this new revelation comes into Scripture. And we see in Second Peter chapter 1, if you want to flip over there too, the process. So we have these apostles who are prophets speaking forth the revelation of God. But then it moves toward Scripture. So Second Peter chapter 1, in particular here, verses 19 and 21. Peter says, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, that is more fully confirmed than Jesus speaking on the Mount Transfiguration. That's what he's comparing it to. Now, just think for a second, step back. Um, Peter is talking about a situation where uh, Moses and Elijah appear with Jesus who's transfigured, like his heavenly glory. And remember, Peter's like, hey, let's make some tents and just hang out here with you all and keep you here and off they go. Right? And so he's comparing that experience. Now, has anyone had an experience like that with Jesus? Some people through history claim they have. There are plenty of people that, I think you look through history, you have these ecstatic experiences with Jesus. Paul says himself, he was caught up into the third heaven. So I don't doubt those ecstatic experiences. I do doubt the people that come back and write books about them. Uh, watch out for those. But Because uh, Paul says, hey, I can't even talk about this thing. So maybe that's a standard for us. And maybe the little ones who are publishing books, we should not buy their books, uh, or read them even. But um, in any event, this is different. So there's, there's this amazing experience that Peter uh, and the other two uh, disciples had, and he says, but we have a more sure word. More sure than that experience of seeing Jesus transfigured into his glory before my very eyes with these other guys, and then Elijah and Moses. Better than that. Is this. That's what he's saying. It's kind of an amazing thing he's saying. Back to verse 19. But we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you would do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns. So we have the scripture until the day dawns. And the morning star arises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy comes from one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but was spoke but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So we have in Scripture then, that's what Peter's saying, he's like, hey, we have this great experience, but we have a more sure word in the Scripture. What has been written on that prophetic word that was uttered, but then has been written down. Okay? So that's the process here. We have, we have God calling these apostles, gifting them with the gift of prophecy, or speaking forth this new revelation of the, of the kingdom of God, uh, of, of the building of the church, of the foundation here of the apostles and prophets, but that foundation is historical in one sense. They're going around ministering in the churches and building the church. But it's also an issue of writing scripture upon which the church will build the first story and the second story and the third story. And here we are in the 21st story, if you want to count by, by centuries, right? But that's not the foundation. The foundation is all the way down at the bottom with this ministry of the apostles and prophets, which is a prophetic ministry that's inscripturated. So we have the Old and the New Testament. So we have this gift of prophecy. Now listen, how does this gift of prophecy come into your life? Were you around to hear Jesus utter prophetic 
you know, whether the, the kind of things that were already known or things that were unknown. Right? They ask questions about when, the, say, for instance, when the temple's going to fall. Right? They're walking around saying, hey, check this place out, Jesus. And he says, well, I'll tell you what, it's happening soon, this generation, that one stone will not be left upon another. Well, there's a, a prophetic utterance of something that's going to happen. Right? And oftentimes, when the prophets utter something that's going to happen, they utter it in two ways. One that's going to happen very soon, and one that might happen far, much farther away. And you can believe the one that's going to happen farther away because you saw the one that's going to happen soon occur before your very eyes. Right? You see the fulfillment of that pr- prediction, and then you can trust the later fulfillment of something that you won't see, at least maybe in your lifetime, like, say, the judging of heaven and earth, the judging of the living and the dead, like we get to, I think, in Matthew 25. Nonetheless, we have Jesus, then, as the great prophet, the living prophet, the word of God in the flesh. But how does this, were you, were you around with Jesus? Were you get to travel around with him in the ancient Near East there in Palestine and listen to him talk, see his way of life? We don't have that. That's not for us, right? We have, we have the scripture now. We have, we have the, the work of the apostles put in the scripture for us, the, the inspired, inerrant word of God. So how does prophecy land in your life? Where does it come? Right now. This is prophecy. This is a man called by God to speak forth the truth of God from the Word of God. Not that I have gifts of foretelling. I don't. That's not my ministry. Uh, my, My ministry is exposition of this book. Telling you what the Word of God says. That's how prophecy comes into your life. The preacher... The one who heralds the word is the one who is the prophet. And this is a gifting, it's a gift that God has for his church, that Christ has for his church. So the risen Christ, who himself is the prophet, he's the living word of God. Right? The, the law came through Moses, John tells us, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The man, the word, become flesh. Right? He's the absolute fulfillment of any sort of prophecy. He is the prophet of God, the one who announces to mankind the intentions of God through his own broken flesh and shed blood. So Jesus is the great prophet, but he calls men to be prophets, little prophets, just like he's the great Christ, the Messiah, and we're called to be little Christs or Christians. We follow him, and God, and the living Christ, who is the prophet of God, calls men to be prophets calls them to speak forth publicly the word of God. And in that sense, not just men. I think God gives this prophecy as far as speaking forth in public the word of God to all sorts of people. Though in the offices of the church, as elders and deacons, uh, I think he very clearly says we want men in these offices, but that doesn't mean these giftings are only for men. Right? So that's something that's kind of important for us as well. You may think as a woman, well, i got, I got a burden on my heart to teach the Word of God or to, 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 um, to instruct and, and, and speak forth what I find in the Scriptures. Well, good. You have lots of different ways to do that. Okay? Some of you have children. That's a great place for you to be a prophetess to speak forth the truth of God to your children. Maybe God's giving you other, uh, other uh, avenues or, or uh, uh, groups of people that you're a part of and you have gifts to teach and to, and to be able to proclaim. So teaching comes... So I think there's a place for that. I think we see that in Scripture as well. Uh, Though the place is not the elder of the church being a woman or the one heralding the gospel at the church being a woman. I think the Scripture would say, that's not it. That's not how you do it. But these gifts are still for men and women and children. So think of that. Has God called you to publicly declare his truth? And the answer is probably, yeah. 
in, in certain capacities in your life, you bet. So do it. Do it in proportion to your faith. Okay, do it in proportion to your faith. Don't step out beyond what God's revealed. And don't step out beyond what you think God's called you to do. I think it kind of means both of those things. Uh, we want to we pro- prophesy in proportion to faith. That is to say, the faith once for all delivered to the saints. The word of God. We want to go, go beyond that. The prophet's job isn't to go beyond that, but to be faithful to it. But also to do it in proportion to our faith. Not stepping out beyond where God's called us to. And that's kind of a subjective reality in your own life. What God has put on your heart to do. And, and then bringing that in line with the scriptures as well. So God has given this gift of prophecy to his church. And it's, it is, the, I think, the main means by which the church announces Jesus Christ. Which is her purpose. Okay? The church is the institution that announces the, king, the crown rights of King Jesus. Say, great, we got presidents, we got kings, we have princes, we have all sorts of things, all sorts of rulers in the world. Christ is ruler of all of them. He rules over all of them and all of us. And he shed his blood for the remission of sins. Won't you come? Won't you come and be a part of Jesus Christ? Turn away from this world. Turn away from the allurements of this world. Turn away from your own sin and flesh. And bow before the Lord Jesus Christ, the prophet of prophets. The one who in his own person is the announcement of God's good intentions for this world of salvation for sinners. But Jesus isn't just the prophet giving gifts of prophecy. He's also the servant the servant who gives gifts of service as well. Where do we see Jesus preeminently as the servant? I think the most obvious one is where he's washing the feet of the disciples. That's where we see it the most and where the disciples are confused by it. Say, what? And, and Peter's saying, ah, you know, freaking out, saying, well, don't just wash my feet, wash all of me. And the, 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 the situation where the master, the undisputed master, has willed his way down to his underwear to go down and wash the disciples' feet. They're nasty, nasty feet. Okay? And this is a confusing reality, because he's the master. But Jesus says in that, I didn't come to be served. The Son of Man came to serve. The Son of Man, <laughs> that eternal God, become human, has come not to just bring it all in. Hey, give me all the praise. I want it all. Give it to me. I'll take your money and, and your daughter's too, or whatever else guys like that want. He says, no, I came to serve. I came to lay it down. In fact, not only did I come to wash my disciples' feet, I came to pour out my blood for them. My life's blood for my enemies to make them friends. So there's that service, and that's the central service of Christ, is he would lay down his life and take it back up again. But he serves us in all sorts of ways, doesn't he? Think of the ways in which Jesus, the Christ of God, serves us, helps us ministers and gives to us. You won't stop thinking of it. You start making a list, you're not going to come to the end of the list. There's thing after thing after blessing after relationship, you name it, that Christ gives to us. He serves us and he provides for us. And then he calls us then to turn around and serve. We've been served to the utmost. And we're called to turn around and serve others. And that's, of course, it's nice, this, this particular one, because the giftings of God, the, these, these gifts that he gives, are always for other people. They're, they're given to you, you to give away, to give to other people in the congregation. And what's more obvious than service when it comes to that? Because that's like what it is. You're helping other people. Now, this comes in all sorts of ways. How do you serve in the church of Jesus Christ? Break down the chairs? 
Sure. Drive somebody to church? Sure. Pick up the phone and give a call and encourage somebody? You bet. In fact, we have a gifting down below that's uh, kind of along these lines of encouragement. Uh, uh, but service is part of that. Um, somebody needs their garage door fixed. That's service, right? Helping out, just helping out and finding ways. And then the, the office of the servant is the deacon. And that's the official position of the guy who's looking to help people, who is looking to help the church, who's looking to supply service and, and, and meet the needs of the people. And so there's endless ways, Christian, that you can be of service. And this is a gift. Now, we're all... We all, to some degree, I think, share in this gift because we're all Christians. And that may be the case, too, just to lay it out there, that we might all share in all of these gifts to some degree, because just because we're Christians, though God seems like he gives different amounts of the gift and he mixes it up differently. It's almost like a, a painter's palette, right, where he's got 18 colors around the outside. And you've seen Bob, you know, I guess we all watch, uh, what's this, Happy Little Squirrel, Bob Ross. Where, you know, you can, you can watch and sit there and mix up the paint and, and do different stuff with it. That's how, that's how God does it in our gifts as well. Like, these aren't like, you know, hermetically sealed uh, categories. Right? I, I have this gift. I'm a, I'm a teacher, so I'm not a servant. Uh, that's not it. It doesn't work that way. Here are just these, these general gifts, and God mixes them up and gives it to you. And not only does he mix it up and give it to you specifically... But he mixes it up and gives it to you, and then he builds it in you, right? By your very efforts, like we were talking about last week, by hard work at the very things that God's put into your heart. You, that develops, you develop these gifts, right? They grow, and they become more powerful. So there's all these dimensions in each of our lives. So let's not get confused or, or make it too simple. I think sometimes we want to simplify it and have these little categories and operate in the categories. I don't think it's quite like that. Each of us is called to serve, but some of us are really called to serve directly have gifts of knowing when the, when the, where the need is and how to meet the need and how to bless people and how to, how to give them gifts. And I think the deacon is the example of that. It's the office of service. And then all the rest of us are servants as well because we're all in our head, Jesus Christ, who is the servant, who came to not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many the next one is teacher, and you can actually see in the English Standard Version that it changes. But anyway, there's, there's the teacher, um, and that was, it seems to me anyway, one of the names, if not the most preeminent name, that the followers of Jesus called Jesus, the teacher. He's the one who's teaching, and, and so much of, of what we read in and, and, and the Gospels of, of Jesus' ministry is teaching. Right? And so what's different between, what's the difference here between teaching and prophecy? Uh, what's prophesying and what's teaching, and then uh, a little down the road here, what's, uh, what's uh, the encouragement or, or that, uh, that gift there as well, the exhortation after teaching here. So we think prophesying is simply declaring what God has said, speaking it forth publicly, declaring. Now, that, that, that prophecy has to have some content. There's something there to understand, right? It's not like it's bereft of teaching, that is the information. No, there's going to be teaching in there. But the, the declaration of a thing is a different thing than the studied analysis and presentation of something. Right? They're not the same thing. Like, and you, don't, you don't want them to be the same thing, trust me. You don't want a preacher who's going to get up and preach and exhort and really be a teacher. You want a teacher who's going to teach and, like say, analyze uh, issues that God's revealed in his word or in, in, in nature uh, understand them, synthesize them, and be able to teach them systematically. 
with understanding. You can think of teachers that you know and have had who are excellent at just that, at gaining enormous bodies of information that make them accessible for you to understand and come clear on. That's not, that's not preaching. Hopefully there's a little bit of that in preaching, but that's not the job of a preacher is, and it's not the job of the exhorter as we get down there either. So think of, in your life, in your Christian life in particular, teachers that you've had that have just been enormously impactful on your life and your understanding. Like we were talking about this morning, that the, this idea of doctrine and life. You learn doctrine from teachers. Teachers teach you doctrine. They work through, uh, again, analyzing and systematizing what the Bible says so that you get your mind around it and see how it connects. And when your mind's around something, that changes your life. Right? When you're thinking about something, that's how you're going to be living. And if you're thinking faithfully about the Scripture and what's taught in Scripture because you've had a faithful teacher who's helped you work through that, uh, and that, by the way, doesn't need to be a faithful teacher in this generation. God's given teachers throughout the history of the church. And he's also given us this kind of amazing, magical uh, ability to put our thoughts down like on parchment uh, or on paper or electronically or however we do it and pass those along. And so we can sit hundreds and hundreds and centuries and centuries later and still be taught by reading what the teachers have written. Well, I tell you, the, teacher, the, t- the church is full. There are many, many glorious teachers in the church. I hope you've had some of them. And I hope you reach out to find more. Those who can, again, systematize and understand what the Scripture is saying and get it across in clear, bite-sized ways. I think of Dr. Battle as a great teacher. He's able to take what I, what I think are complex concepts and issues, simplify them in such a way that they're bite-sized and you can figure it out. And by the end, uh, you kind of got it. You kind of got the whole of the thing. That's a sign of a good teacher, able to understand things that are not easy to understand uh, and bit by bit, piece by piece, until you can fill it up. But God's given the church teachers in preeminently the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the teacher. He's rabbi, rabboni. He is our teacher. Okay, he's the one who systematizes for us and helps us to understand the things of God and the things of this earth. The head of the body. But there's also the gift of teaching that he's given to people as well. And again, you find yourselves, many of you, in a situation where you are teaching. You, you, not necessarily the spiritual gift as far as teaching the Word of God and so on, though sometimes there. Uh, and get back to, like, homeschool parents. You're you teaching things? Well, if you're doing homeschool, I hope so. Uh, that's kind of the idea. They'll be teaching something to your children at home, or at least giving them a context in which they can learn something, whether you're directly teaching them or not. But we all have situations where we're teaching, and God gives that gift. And if God's given you the gift to teach... Christian, figure out where to teach. Figure out how to do it. And uh, It's just the same thing as service. If God's giving you the gift of service, figure out where that's, that's applicable. Figure out where you can exercise that gift. If God's giving you the gift of prophecy according to the Scripture, figure out how to do that in accordance with faith. To use these gifts in the church for the building up of the church uh, until we all grow up into the head. Right? It's almost like we have this mature head and this little immature body kind of plugging along through the centuries and getting bigger and bigger and finally coming to the fullness of a man that matches the head. That's kind of like this weird image that seems like is the image that the apostle uses. The other image we saw in, in Ephesians here is a building. Right? Uh, Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of this building. He sets all the angles. This is the way it's going to look. Here's the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And then the church builds on Christ, builds on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with these gifts, with these very gifts we're talking about. So, Christian, we're gonna, we'll spend a little more time here. We'll spend next week going on the, the rest of the gifts. Uh, but what I want you to do is be thinking through and praying through, well, what do I have, God? What have you given me? 
And how can I use it? How can I use this gift to build up the church? Right here, this church, but expansively. Go on from there. Right? The, the, again, the churches in the neighborhood, the presbytery, and on and on. Um, how can we use the skills, the, the gifts that God has given us? Not for our own building up, but for the building up of others in the body of Christ. And so God has given His church through Christ Jesus prophets. You do well to listen to them who declare the word of God to you. God's given His church servants. And they're helpful. We get along. That's, that's a, again, that's a, a role that we might say that, that prophetic role is central to the church. It's what it does. But we need, this, we need all the service to make that work. Right? Not only do we need deacons, capital D, but we need deacons and deaconesses as far as just servants in the church who are ready to serve and, and work. And we also need teachers. We're not supposed to be ignorant wretches. We're not supposed to just say, yeah, I got Jesus and Bible and no more, and don't understand either Jesus or Bible. Right? We need to be educated. We need to be wise. And God's given the church that gift to have teachers. And so avail yourself of those teachers. But also, if that's a skill and a gift that you have, develop it in the church. Develop it in your family. Develop it in the places that God has given you. So, Christian, seek the Lord. Seek the Lord and what his gifts for you are. And even if you've kind of done this before, maybe taken like, you know, spiritual gift examination, uh, if you've ever seen those things, you kind of work through and answer questions and they'll tell you what your gifts are. And maybe there's some value there. And maybe even in the most general sense of like looking through all your skills and figure out what your gifts are. There's probably some value in all of that. But more, it's this. Get on your knees. Seek the Lord. Say, God, what are the gifts you've given me? I think these are them. I'm not sure about this. How can I use them? Show me how I can use these gifts to build up the body. And show me how I can avail myself of others and their gifts in building up the body as well. Because we're all one in Christ Jesus. God's made us to come together as one body. And again, sometimes that's kind of uncomfortable. Sometimes there are parts of the body, we, uh, you can think of Paul's analogy, there are parts of the body you want to cover up. There are some shameful parts of the body, you don't just throw them out there in public. So we're not all the same, but we are all one in Christ Jesus. And if we love the head of the church, we must love the body as well. We must love one another and serve one another. So God has served us in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus is our prophet. He is our servant. He is our teacher. And in him, he calls us, therefore, as he gifts us to be prophets, servants, and teachers. So let us go forth and be faithful to the one who is eternally faithful to us. Amen.